Say that again? Mary, bang, kill. If you had to marry one of those birdies, which one would you marry? If you had to kill one of them, which one would you kill? And which one would you bang? <laughs> That's really? so funny. <laughs> this week, we're at Sumerian with Holly and Mark Irig, that brewery out in Woodenville that has big aspirations to be the Stone Brewery of Washington. In this episode, we find out if they have what it takes to do just that, and we'll see what they've done already along that path. I'm your host, the Cycling Certified Cicerone. Welcome to Washington Beer Talk. This is episode 27, Sumerian Brewery. My name's Mark Irig, and my lovely wife, Holly, and we're the owners of Sumerian. What got you guys into beer to begin with? Um, I guess I'll answer that because it was uh, before Holly and I ever met. But back in 95, um, I read an article on a couple guys out of Chicago that were doing a beer club online. And it got me thinking like, oh, I could probably do that because craft obviously was, you know, moving upwards in the Northwest. Um, and so I got a license, started that out of my garage, um, then morphed into another company, which was a wine club, which we still have today. But that's kind of was my introduction into, um, I mean, one, I like drinking it. I mean, I discovered that back when Red Hook kind of got started and shortly after they got started. And I just liked the industry. I thought the people were fantastic. They were running the breweries and the events that I went to with friends and thought this is something I think I could do. So started a beer club and then it just kind of grew from there, the passion of craft. So you were like pretty involved in the industry just before you opened a brewery. Probably oh, yeah. before you were born, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably before you were born. <laughs> yeah, I would run around to all these breweries, like local ones, Hales, Pyramid. I'd go down to Portland Brewing, Bridgeport. Um, I even stopped in at Widmere before they were big and was buying product from them and then bringing it back to Washington and putting it in our warehouse and then, you know, mixing up the what we bought and sending it off to people around the country. That Kind of a vision like a 1-800-Flowers for craft yeah. beers. Like, I think you're one of the... I was number three in the country. There was two guys in Chicago and then there was another guy that started one in Chicago and then it was myself and then a guy down in California started one right after I started one. And now, I don't know how many there are now, but we got out of that part because... Now we're the... We have the real part. Yeah, we're the supplier now. We went from internet-based to, like, <laughs> yeah. come into our tasting room and go to a yeah. restaurant and go to a grocery store and grab a six-pack. So um, I wasn't part of that said journey, um, but certainly that's where the passion originated and started with Mark. And then I was a corporate-based girl, um, 26 years at Microsoft, right? So about five years ago... It could be six. I'm looking at Mark on this live podcast because I'm thinking about the time he said you should turn on your laptop and let's do this thing, bringing this dream to fruition. That was shortly after we got married. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So six years ago, five, yeah. six years ago, and I turned on my laptop, hyperventilating, and for a lot of the social platforms portion of our Sumerian brand, it's transferable skills and it's something that we're passionate about. It's it's like we've even, be, it even been quoted like the Chip and Joanna Gaines of craft beer, so we kind of think that's pretty funny because it fits. Hmm. So, um, yeah, anyway, here we are. We're yeah, talking, to, talking to cool you. Uh, the, uh. Mo the, the, the latest thing, uh, the, the, the roles and responsibilities that I departed from were in the height of the cloud strategy sort of embarking. Mm -hmm. um, and the readiness and onboarding of that with our consultants so they could actually go out and work with 
you know, Ford Motors or in cloud and those kinds of things. So it was really more like the onboarding readiness part of it. Um, but I did have a communications background with Xbox launching, not a gamer or whatever, but um, so a multitude of things. But I think what I carried forward is all the relationships. And I think relationships and beer and the ambiance of beer or wine and Woodenville wine country, which we reside in, um, we love our community, is is all about that. It's it's about relationships and enjoying time together. So I've brought them forward. I've got a lot of our Sumerian followers are former counterparts of mine, which is pretty cool. I can tell you used to work for Microsoft. I used to work for Microsoft as well uh, back before then. And you know what? There's a pretty so funny beer culture at Microsoft. They get it. They like to get beers at their morale events and you get to hang out and drink. <laughs> right. And um, But back then it was always, I remember when I was working there, you're always drinking Mac and Jacks and Manny's. And those get stale pretty fast, um, at least in my opinion. I don't know if you guys have any, would like to weigh in on that. Um, but that was definitely, we drank Mac and Jacks like, like I'm so sick of it. <laughs> kind of cool to tie it together because we just recently did a couple Microsoft events and Rick, our lead sales uh, guy, um, was on site. We've done an Oktoberfest. So it's kind of cool to just melt right back in where you came from with our product, right? And not only that, but I think you're here because there's synergy uh, in the community and alignment with our legacy customer, the Willows Lodge, in the Spike and Brew package. And, um, you know, beer brings people together. Yeah. Well, Mac and Jackson, Manny's, I mean, I think they, if anything, they help brought awareness you know, because they grew so fast that so many people just started drinking Mac and Jacks. And then, you know, Manny's came on board, Georgetown, and created more awareness. So I, it doesn't hurt at all. I mean, it might get a little stale, but I mean, they did penetrate the market pretty heavily in the Seattle area. So hats off to them. Do you think that was, an impo that was important to what you guys are doing now? Those guys trailblazing? I think anyone that can penetrate the market like they did is always trailblazing and helps out, yeah, create awareness. Because, I mean, you it's hard not to find a Manny's tap handle. Um, Mac and Jack, I think you used to see more of them. I think they're a little less, but, you know, both of them are still out there. And they do quite a bit of production still. And then especially Georgetown, because now they're canning, and I see their cans everywhere. I, I think Mac and Jack's is going to can, too, if they haven't already. So... Yeah, they're still in the game and they produce a lot of product, so mm -hmm. yeah, people still enjoy drinking their product. One of the things I was wondering earlier was how big your brewery is compared to those. So I know that like Mac and Jacks and Manny's or, like, or Georgetown are really big. Like yeah. they're the big two of the biggest in the state, top five at least for yeah. sure. Like Fremont. Yeah, I think Man or Georgetown last time I looked was like around that sixty, fifty eight to sixty thousand barrel range. So like mm -hmm. we're like around like three. Yeah. So, you know. But that still puts you um, in the upper echelons of craft beer, craft breweries in, like in Seattle in the area. Um, top 20 at least, right? There's, um, I don't know where we sit, but I know that, um, so we have 400 breweries now. Mm -hmm. um, and out of all the breweries, there's a lot of them that, you know, people don't realize that there's a lot of things called nano breweries, small mm -hmm. ones that, Really, they don't produce where they can like package, and you know, and it's rare that maybe they'll put stuff on tap. It's more like you come to their place and try it. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of out of the 400. There's a lot of that. So mm -hmm. you kind of almost have to take. They should have their own category, you know, mm -hmm. instead of being just a microbrewery. Um, but we do have a lot of breweries in the state. I don't think we're oversaturated. 
No, absolutely not. I wouldn't say no. that at all. Um, I'd say there's always space for more of those nano breweries for sure. What I'm curious about is that 400 number because that is not in alignment with what I thought, but maybe I've had a couple beers and I can't remember. Is that 400 breweries in like the state of Washington or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Washington only. And it I've, just was published. Yeah. Just, yeah. just Washington Beer, Kendall, Kendall Jones, yeah. Washington Beer. California is the largest. Put that mm -hmm. out. With like 900. Um, I don't know where Oregon falls. Um, I know they're right up there. So it's, it's probably maybe Oregon might have a few more than us or we have a few more than Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know who's second or third on the list, but Washington is either second or third. Um, in the entire country, I think it's over 6,000 yeah. now. It's, okay. it's quite a bit. Yeah. Okay, I guess that checks out. I have had a couple of beers. But the last number I heard was 360, which I guess is wasn't such a far reach from 400. Whatever. No, because no, we were on a click of, they were putting on, because I, mean, I just went to a, a meeting and I got all these great stats, but we were growing the state about 36 to 40 breweries a year. And it was kind of clicking Let's, along, and yeah. then it kind of dropped. This year, I think they said we're at like 28, but we still have what three more months left, so we might gain a few more. Mm -hmm. So I think the average might be a little less than it was the prior five years in a row, but it's still they're coming on board still. And so. comparatively, we just feel like we're getting started. I mean, oh, with yeah. our vision and our end end. If there is ever going to be an end. It takes a while um, to get it going. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it does. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of festivals that we do. I mean, it's just getting the name out there. I mean, you can, you can have good product, but yeah. it doesn't mean that it's just going to be like everyone is going to know about you in oh, a yeah. week. I mean, it takes a lot of work to get it out there. And we do a lot of work. You have to, to fight with a lot there. of people. You guys are like, you know, Seattle's going to be one of your main markets, of course, if you're trying to sell beers, like in grocery stores and stuff like that. And there you've got to fight against people who are drinking from breweries that are on there. their block. Yeah, And absolutely. to get to Samaria and you got to come out of the way a little bit. And we'll talk later about the bike <laughs> route we're going to work on. Yeah. Um, but uh, because there's lots of, lots of potential for that. But I think that, yeah, you've got to, like, you're fighting against the nano breweries of Seattle and there are 60 or 100 of them. And, uh, and they are... Like, yeah, they're in your way, and they're going to... Lucky Envelope, another brewery that I like, you know, they don't put a lot of beer onto shelves, but they put beer on shelves, and there's probably shelf spots that you guys would, you know, have a struggle to take, you know? Um, yeah. Sumerian's not a household name in Seattle, I guess, I think is what I would say. No. Um, um, and, but that just is speaking towards the, the path you guys are the on. The path yeah. we're on and the opportunity for sure, and which is really right in line with what we, we just came from a distribution uh, in Kent meeting with Northwest Beverage about the market. And um, humbly, we'll share too, as we've grown 500% <laughs> mm -hmm. since... Well, that's with one product. With one One of product, our products has grown yeah. tremendously. So, so that sounds... Fabulous, but we again we're like, oh, but we're just getting started, and we do need to penetrate Seattle more. And you know, again, we just launched in Eastern Washington less than a month ago. Um, so lots of lots of things to hit for 2019. And yeah. every, everyone has a different game plan in this industry. Um, some people they just want to have a small like little tasting room and they're not looking to get into the safe ways with their product yeah. and all that, you know, and then other people like us, that is our model is to, you know, have a production facility, which is how we set up the brewery. Um, we set it up 
so that we could attack and get into the chain stores and go distribution like that and maybe even to other states. So it's that's our business model. So there is no right or wrong. It's just that that's what we chose to do. Yeah. So how does that, like, I guess I'm pretty familiar with the local small brewery, the ones that aren't trying to get into distribution. That is the way that, I, like I was saying earlier, that's the spot that has space in it still. Yeah. Um, and you guys are trying to break into a space that is tight. It's, yeah. So what does that, what does that business model really look like? Like, would you give me the nitty gritties of some of the, you know, some of the decisions, some of the thought processes you guys had early on deciding what you're going to do, how are you going to get a production brewery moving forward? in a space where, well, five years ago, it probably made, it would make more sense to do it five years ago than it would make to do now. But, oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so tell me, can we, give me some of the some some of the inside scoop of that thought process. Absolutely, go ahead. Um, go. Well, so like I said, so we, we want to do production and um, we also didn't want to have, just like some breweries will have like one really awesome rock star beer that they come out with and then maybe the rest of their portfolio might be a little bit lower than that mm -hmm. um in the very beginning it was um like when we were talking with tyson it was like hey we need like minimum five solid high quality beers i don't want to be known for like one mm -hmm. we want to be known for like oh whatever they make it's above average quality and that was like the beginning of like what we wanted to achieve. Brand integrity. Yeah. Right? Never jeopardize quality for quantity kind right. of set and, the tone. And so we don't change, we won't change the recipes. Um, it's, you know, we put a lot of, a lot of cost goes into some of the products, but also the feedback we get is like really fantastic. So it's like, okay, yeah, you might spend a little bit more to make the product, but I think it's worth it if you're going to go for the production thing to get into the stores because really then at that point you have to, the distributor gets you to a certain point. So then you have to get picked up by a distributor, mm -hmm. which is not an easy task right. anymore. That's, that's another whole set of um, worms that you're opening up. I mean, they told us that they have four criteria you have to meet. Don't know all of them exactly, but they told us we met all four. Hmm. Otherwise, they won't look at you if you don't have at least three on their list. Right. Because there's too many to choose from, and they know they can only represent so much at once to actually be fair to everyone. If you were to work. speculate on those four criteria, what would they? What are they? Uh, one of them quantity, is quantity, and it's probably a, a one of them. One of them is production. Mm -hmm. Do you have a facility that you can expand and grow rapidly with? Because if you're pigeonholed and you can only make 1,500 barrels, then they're like, well, we could sell all that, no problem, but you have no more room to expand, then why do we want to pick you up? Because mm -hmm. then they can't make money, and that's kind of the name of the game, really, all the way around. But um, two, we have, a, we have extensive business backgrounds, which is another thing mm -hmm. on their list. Um, and then, of course, you have to have good products. And that fourth one, I never really figured out what they were talking about, but I know those three are for sure on their list. Yeah. So I might have to take the time I and ask one of them what the fourth one was that we met that they liked. But they liked all four things that we do here. And we have a very professional um, group of people. Everyone's been in the industry, you know, except for, for Holly, you know. But everyone has, like, business or they have a lot of years in with selling it or making it. Yeah, for so, me it's transferable skills yeah. from, you know, Microsoft to the marketing and all that kind of social platform sort of engaging customers and people in the audience with our brand. So yeah, as far as craft beer um, business, no. Microsoft business, yes. But I mean, together, it's quite a, a 
the puzzle a works. set of pillars of uh, awesome really yeah. everyone's got so much strength in their set area that um, and we are all business minded with our backgrounds yeah. that it makes us um, it just sort of like I feel like it's paving the way and for allowing us to accelerate more um, with our vision and our vision is to be the stone brewing of Washington and we've said that a bazillion times yeah it's only more about that goal that's a lofty goal stone is you know probably one of like if it in the top three most famous craft breweries uh, in the states yeah that's a yeah that's a, so that's a big goal so why did you decide that was the the benchmark and uh, and what are you gonna do to get there well the um, so we have relatives down in San Diego and so we frequent down to San Diego. And when Stone moved from their original spot to their new place in Escondido, um, Uncle lives just literally five minutes away. So we ended up going there and they'd only been open six months. And when I walked in, I was just like, wow, this is like, you know, and I, I'd been to a lot of breweries with the beer club that, that I had. So I visited lots of them and it was like, that one just took me and it was just like, yeah, this would be cool to own something like this. This is fantastic. And it well, was what just, about it was the thing? What it was, was just, it was, there's something about it that just screamed. It was super professional. They had high quality product. I mean, it just seemed like everything that they did was fantastic in my opinion. I mean, it was just, it was an oiled, well-oiled machine, I thought. You know, their facility's great. Like I said, the product was good. Marketing's great. Their gargoyle, you know, logo. I mean, everything about that company I thought was top notch. I thought, we don't have that in Washington. There's not one brewery in this state that's anything like that. Not one. Nothing you could really develop a cult following behind. Nothing that has this like iconic imagery that Stone does. I think I got you. Yeah. So it's fun and cool at the same time. It yeah. just has all these cool elements to it. And yeah. And while we're we've established a tasting room here, we've already you know contemplating the next move. You know. Um, do we build out a new space and have a restaurant component to it? Which is, again, alike the, the stone brewing evolution, if mm -hmm. you will, is they, they have you know, multiple locations and they are actually you know, in, in other parts of the world too, they've expanded that much. But I think the point being is that it is a, it's a culture, it's a cult, it's like, a, it's a, it's, 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 um, everything is five, five star notch. Yeah. Uh, um, well, the thing also with Stone, which I also was very impressed with, was, you know, back then, I mean, they were, you know, I don't know, probably at least 200,000 barrels or more a year. Mm -hmm. So they were significantly big. But, you know, they come out with, like, Enjoy By and um, Delicious. And, I mean, they're making huge volume, but at the same time, the products that they're making were still high quality. We're usually... That kind of goes the opposite. When you get really big, you start to trim off the you fat. You start to Applebee's a little bit. You do. You trim off the fat, right? Because yeah. the bean counters are like, you can make 10 more percent if you just do this. And, and then the big beer becomes mediocre, where they didn't do that. And I thought that was... We will not do that. That was, in, you know, I just thought it was fantastic that they did that route. Yeah. And I, my hat's off to them for that, because I'm sure they could have made a lot more money by trimming away some of those hops and not done the marking they did and everything else. And... You know, yeah. But, you know, it seemed it works for them, too, because they've grown. I mean, they're probably like almost 400,000 barrels now. Yeah. So, yeah. 
that's a conversation I've had with some of my Budweiser drinking friends. Is they'll say like, "Well, if Budweiser's not good, then why does everybody drink it?" And I was like, "Well, because you can get sales in two ways. One of them is having really good beer, and the other one's having really good marketing. If you spend all your money on marketing." then people will buy your beer whether or not it's good. And that's yeah. the path Budweiser has taken, and it's definitely a cheap path. And um, yeah. same thing with Applebee's <laughs> and Chili's. Yeah. But it's all, you know, it's all taste buds. I mean, you know, people... You can't... That, that's people just, get, that's people, the other point. People get stuck in their ways, too, I've noticed, you know. And, you know, they'll just, like, they'll get used to eating something, whether it's McDonald's or, you know, Doritos, and they don't want to jump ship to try Tim's Cascades. It's like, no, nope, right. I like these chips. That's what I'm going to eat. Or, yeah. I like that beer. You know, and that's just how it is, you know. And then there's more adventurous people that go, oh, well, what's that? And like, oh, what kind of flavor they got going on? And oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, so those are the people you try to go after because it's kind of hard to teach the old dog a new trick, say. Mm -hmm. And they've been drinking Budweiser products or Miller or something for 30 years. They probably don't want a jacked up IPA. Yeah. They just don't, you know. Exactly. No that's fun. why you make beers like the, uh, you know, the Vienna, Vienna style slash Mexican lager you guys have yeah. up there. More approachable yeah. for, Or a know. Pilsner. Yeah, know? exactly. It's another, it's another light beer that kind of falls in that wheelhouse. But, yeah, so we try to do different styles as well to try and maybe hook on. Before we transfer fish. over to talking about your, like, your brewery and the beers you brew, I do want to talk a little bit more about Stone. So you already talked about the stuff that you admire about them. What are some of the steps you're taking to sort of... To, to either emulate or you know best them, you know what do you try? What are the steps you're taking to get to become the Stone of Washington? I think it's the quality of the products we make, and then also our marketing. I think is fantastic. Our logo, people rant rave about it, so it's something that is slowly becoming like recognizable. People are like, oh, I've seen that, oh, I like that, you know. And then you back it up with really good products and keep the quality high. Mm -hmm. Then people know when they go to spend their ten dollars on a six pack. They know they're going to get something good. Right. And I think that is a big thing, that you have to have consistency mm -hmm. with your product. So no matter what you make, people, when they try and they like it, they need to be able to go back and get it and know that it's going to taste the same way again. I, I think we've got another value add um, slide-in mentioned here, too, because I think production is also... Slide-in mentioned. Slide-in. You must have worked yeah. out with, yourself. Yeah, so, but, but um, when we talk about production and, and we admire the capacity and the growth and, and the brand integrity that Stone has, um, we also have a third pillar of business that allows us to actually you know, um, have quick increase in production and forecast that with our distributor. One, we bought a, a canning line, which is kind of unsaid or unbelievable at our uh, early, you know, uh, we're in the early stages, we're not quite four years old, so we, you know, for on-demand canning and freshness and, you know, like that kind of thing. We also, the tanks that we use, we sell them. We've got a pillar of business called HMS Brewtech. Uh, we actually sell the stainless steel, uh, the fermenters and tanks that we use to create Sumerian beer. So, um, it you is mean you contract them out to other brewers or what? No, we just sell them to them. So, oh, yeah, you, we you build those tanks. No, we we well, there's a company that we use that builds them, and um, we sell them at a drastic discount to oh. other breweries. And it keeps our channel open, so we can easily just. You know, send off an email, and next thing you know, we've got brand new tanks showing up in 60 days. So we yeah. can expand very rapidly. Okay. So we're not uh, on wait, the I'm, I'm sorry. Explain it again to me. So you you have this other company that 
sales tanks to you that you also sell? So are you a sales tank salesman? Like what is? We're not, but no, we, we have a connection um, mm-hmm. that, that we have everything made in China. Mm-hmm. And um, basically we sell it to other breweries mm-hmm. and pretty much Cideries, in return, wineries. we'll make a buck or two on it. But like, for instance, like uh, we just recently sold some tanks and some of the tanks were like $5,000 less than what they were getting quotes for. Okay. So we've got it discounted. So to help out the, the, the brewers out there. Or brewery owners, they can save a few bucks mm-hmm. by buying them from us, uh-huh. and in return, we have an open, basically, channel with this company. Okay, and so we get kind of put on the top of the list. So, so whenever that's just we need some something. like some clever business savvy that sort of got you in on a special deal that got you. Yeah, we bought the first wave from a company, and and um, we found out where it was being made, and it was being made over in China, and um, this factory is literally just down the street from that factory, and this factory does all of the overflow for, for the other factory. They've been doing it for 30 years. Yeah, you know? they've been making so, food-grade products stainless steel for 30, 30 years. 30 years, yeah. And if you look at our tanks that we have in the back, there's a couple left still from our original purchase, but they're identical to the big ones that we have. So mm-hmm. we've cut out the middleman. You're yeah, right. Yeah. It was a business decision, and I think it is at least a valuable mention because when we talk about production and growth and aspiring to be these bigger breweries like Stone, if you will, then production and keeping up and the capacity to do it is an area of strength. Mm -hmm. And we feel like we've got that dialed in, both from purchasing our canning line uh, to having, you know, um, a good brew team, a head brewer, assistant brewer, and we just hired a cellarman. Um, And then, you know, we're getting one-on-one week training of actually putting our own canning line into play next week. So that and being able to purchase the tanks direct for quick turnaround in 50, 60 days or less is kind of like also unheard of in our industry is we, we have the ability to get them quick and sell and sell them for a cost savings to other breweries and keeping the relationship for ourselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. keep more money in house for expansion for other things like salespeople. So and that's, like that's that. one thing. Yeah. So between the, your two answers, uh, I gotta <laughs> say I like her answer more because, and they, they pay me the big bucks to ask these hard questions, every brewer would say that quality and good beer and consistency is their recipe for success, but not everyone achieves that. How do you assure that your beer, like, you know, you're trying to make good beer, everyone wants to make good beer, but a lot of people can make good beer, and a lot of people do. So, like, is that really, it, the, what are the other... What are the actual steps that need to be taken? No, I think it's business-minded steps too, and I think it falls right in line there. Is is we did really from a work-back plan, sort of, you know, laid this out with the end in mind. As for example, this space. So Mark and Tyson, I got the fluffier portions of it, like you know, picking out paint colors and chandeliers for this tasting room. But this um, Sumerian uh, place of brewing and tasting for our customers can easily expand and grow to meet the long-term vision. So we don't have to reboot. We can continue to grow. We're getting more and more tank capacity here. So that's one thing. Um, Along with our marketing, um, I, I feel like our engagement model is good and hopefully capturing the millennials not just from beers and profiles and new you know, things we're introducing, but the fact that we, we've got engagement models. We're actually socially active. 
Um, and we've got to call it sexy, whatever, but you know, our, 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 our brand has got some edginess to it. And also it's got a storyboard that we haven't shared. Like Mark was sort of brainstorming, he's a mastermind behind all our name conventions of rock and roll, but that, um, you know, our Sumerian, why we call it Sumerian, it, uh, Sumeria, the, it's the oldest artifact dating back into history when beer was first discovered. And, and interestingly enough, Nikasi Brewing was the goddess of beer from the same area. So we have this historical staple, too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, how did you get the name Sumerian? Well, and so we, we like to anchor into that because um, just like that's the oldest artifact, well, we're hoping we're an old artifact and sticking around for a long time, too, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, I don't know if that helps. I think so. I think branding is an important part of making your brewery successful. Like, like obviously, clearly. So, and you guys are doing like you're doing good work. I, I, I guess I would say I, I recognize the guy, and I knew I'd seen a logo before I even knew he was associated with the brewery. And that's like the kind of and that, that's and I'm calling it an old memory now to say that because it's because he's just an iconic looking dude. And I think he like he kind of makes sense. Um, I'll put some pictures up on the blog, but you can imagine the, the squatting guy holding a beer, like with a sword and everything, like pretty cool. Andrew, wouldn't you say our head brewer kind of looks like our <laughs> brand now? Because he's definitely morphing the, the beard and the whole oh, thing. Yeah. So, so I don't know. Maybe that's our employees begin to look like our brand over time. Maybe and, that's it. And your head brewer, that's Tyson. Yes. Now we'll take just a quick break to talk about our sponsors, but after the break, Mark and Holly play Mary Bang Kill with some of the breweries. All right, so here's my question. You've now mentioned three breweries, Black Raven, Colshin, and Bailbreaker. Ever played this game before? Mary Bang Kill. I'd like to thank Willow's Lodge out in Woodenville for making this episode possible. They invited me out to come stay in the lodge and arranged for me to have some time to spend with Holly and Mark. Willow's Lodge is a beautiful luxury lodge with spas, hot tubs, beautiful rooms, and when you walk in, they greet you by name. This autumn, they're doing a bike and brew package that includes a trip to Sumerian, where you get a credit on beer, credit on breakfast the following day, and a discount at the spa. I highly recommend you check it out especially if you want to see the other breweries in the area. They've got some fantastic complimentary bikes for you to use as well. Probably some of the best I've ever ridden. That's Willow's Lodge out in Woodenville. Washington Beer Talk is also brought to you by Craft Beer of the Month. If you want to get a crate of tasty beer sent to your house or sent to someone else as a gift, then check out cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club. That'll send you straight to their website via my affiliate link. Who would you say are your three biggest competitors, like right now? Um, maybe not your biggest competitors, but maybe what are the three breweries with the most sort of mind share to you at the moment? Um, there's always the competition thing. Um, I feel that right now, the ones that, that I look at that I think have done an incredible job and have grown and, and still products good is um, definitely Bailbreaker. Mm -hmm. Um, they came out of nowhere. I mean, our sales or our, our distributor, one of them told me that they didn't even have a sales guy for the longest time. So I was, I was like thoroughly impressed. Like, why wow, you didn't have a sales guy? Um, Black Raven, um, they're actually moving in down the street from us. They have a great cult following and Bo's done a great job with what they've done down there. 
Um, both of these places are considerably bigger than us. Um, um, I haven't had a lot of product from any breweries down south. Um, it's a lot? No key? I've had product from, from breweries up north that I think they've done a good job too as well. Um, Colson's growing uh, fast. Um, All right, so here's my question. You've now mentioned three breweries, Black Raven, Colson, and Balebreaker. Mm -hmm. Ever played this game before? Mary Bang Kill. Those three breweries. What's that again? Mary Bang Kill. If you had to marry one of those breweries, which one would you marry? If you had to kill one of them, which one would you kill? And which one would you bang? <laughs> That's really? so funny. <laughs> Balebreaker, Black Raven, and Colson. I'd marry, I'd marry Balebreaker. Really I'd marry Balebreaker. Yeah, they've yeah. got a great story. Well, the other thing I like, they're also their hobby too, like we are. Yeah. They're, they're driven on the IPA thing. Um, you know, their pale ale is almost like IPA. So, and I think they do a great job with their marketing and their packaging. And, and I mean, all around, I, you know, I mean, I met their sales guy. He was a really awesome guy. Yeah, so I would probably go that route if I was going to marry one of them. Okay. But we, if I was gonna we kill love one Black of Raven. It's <laughs> like, that's, that's like her If I was going to kill someone, I'd probably kill, I'd probably kill off Colson just because they're out of our neck of the woods. <laughs> and I, I think, I think Bo, I think Bo. Bo is a fantastic guy. If you haven't met Bo, he's cool. They're, I like they're actually Bo. moving close to us. Yeah. Black Raven's going to be your neighbors. That's right. You just mentioned that. I, when yeah. you said that, I assumed you were moving over to Black Raven. I have right? nothing no. against Colson, but I'm just going to say, if I had to pick one to divorce, that say, that it would mean, be them. That means yeah. his analogy leaves Bo to... Yeah. <laughs> all right. Banging Bo. All right. That's yeah. all right. Yeah. Sorry, Bo. Okay. Yeah, no. I know. Hope you're, he, you're hope awesome, hope he receives that okay. Yeah. No yeah. pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, same question to you. I imagine you're familiar with local breweries, especially the ones all around this area, uh, the Woodenville area, especially. Yeah. You so Mary Bang Kill. Oh my God, for me too. That same too. thing. For same question for Crucible God. Brewery, Triple Horn, and Twenty Corners. Oh my God. Eek. Keeping in mind, I'm also friends with people at, at I these know. Too, so We're all you friends can say with Alex at 20 Corn. I mean, we like. Feel free we, to defuse it I mean, with a joke if you like, must. Oh my yeah. God. How do, what do you say when you just don't want to answer any of them? The folks at 20 Corners. You can't answer for her. I know. Yeah, okay. I can't. Then I'm going to let I'm her I'm really struggling. Do I have to answer? If you want to give up, you can. Because, I mean, we're. we're just say the, you the, bang they, them all. The, yeah, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, I can appreciate their passion for craft. And um, you know what? Who doesn't want more people in the industry uh, striving and doing what they love most? So I'm just going to say, I don't know. We, we love our friends at 20 Corners. Like, a lot of them are, we're in. Pardon? Yeah. She's been a politician. That's yeah. true. No, but I, I mean, I really mean that, right? No, we we no. want everyone to... And Tyson's chiming in, and I think we should drag him over here. Tyson, that's our head here. brewer. That's our head brewer coming... No, you and I are talking separate times. Okay. Let's do a separate one. Mary Kill, Red Hook, Elysian, and Widmer. Kill Widmer. Kill Widmer. Mary. Bang Red Hook, Mary. 
Mary Lee. That's because he came from Red Hook, right? Always a hooker, isn't that what you guys call it? Always a hooker. That really is. I'm not kidding. It went over (laughs) all of our social platforms, blah, 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 when they went away. Well, no, Red Hook is known as hookers. People that work there. Yeah. They're all hookers. I don't think Andrew's ever heard that before, though. I know. Yeah, Yeah. this is a new one for him. Yeah. No, it's all hookers. Yeah. I figured it out. Talk about. Um, let's talk a little bit more, or more about the, um, I guess, the personal aspects of the brewery. So we talked a lot about the business. And, yeah. Um, let's talk about. Yeah, let's talk about the brew, you, the beer you brew. You know, the, you know, the styles you choose and why you choose them. Let's talk about. Yeah, the people you have around the, um, you know, the brewers and stuff like that. Let's get a, get a sense for the scale and, um, you know, the personality of the, the place. What, what here, makes yeah. what makes it unique? What makes Sumerian unique as a brewery? Um, I think in the, well, in the very beginning um, with Tyson, um, he saw eye to eye with what we were trying to achieve. Um, We don't make beers that are jacked up with fruit syrup and we don't put vegetables in beer. And it was like, we, I mean, we like IPA, obviously we do, I think three of them, plus then we have some rotating ones. So we're kind of like an IPA hobby house. I mean, we just like hops around here. Um, we do have the other beer styles that aren't loaded with hops, but predominantly we're a hop house. Um, seeing eye to eye on the vision, it's like we want really awesome IPA without all the other stuff in it. So we're trying to stay true to styles, just to make them as good as we can make them. And so I think that that helps out immensely because we're not going all over the place. It's like we're just focusing on that type of IPA and make that, or that type of stout, or that type of lager, or whatever. Um, and so that, that's one thing. He's fantastic at what he does. He knows how to balance it out. Um, I made beer too, and he and I made beer together, but pretty much that's up to him is well, to take yeah. care of that. We tell him like, you know, hey, we need to make a scotch ale. We need to fill a blank. So then he goes and does his thing and comes up with the recipe. I will say, though, to be totally transparent is there was a lab environment going on for 16 to 18 months of just Mark and Tyson. And yeah, really, a 10 gallon system. I mean, not, yeah. you know, yeah, on a test lab environment, as for example, a narcissism, this, our flagship single IPA. And I'm just, uh, you know, I'm envisioning a wall here, Andrew, and our fur listeners. It's like, it was a whole wall of several runs to just get it meticulously spot on so we could have that staple beer. I think we made that beer like 17 times. It was just kind of one of those things, and it was uh, it was a lot easier when we got the commercial gear. I think uh, we had refrigeration um, when we were fermenting the beers in, in the old warehouse and doing ten gallon batches. We would kind of set it in the warehouse and kind of like roll the dice. But you get fluctuation with the temperature, and the beer always has some off flavor. But then once we got it dialed in with refrigeration and all this other stuff, it's like okay, they just kind of started coming. We had, the, we had the base know-how of how to do it and do it right. And plus, he has background from Red Hook for five years. He brought a lot to the table with that, so, yeah. For the homebrewers listening who are thinking, you brewed the same beer 17 times, I want to do what, what they did to try to make a beer that good. What, what was that lab-like process? We would just start messing around with hops and, like, when we put the hops in and for how long and different stages, but if I had to give advice to anyone that's home brewing, just from home brewing myself back in 95, I started doing that too, is uh, 
the fermentation process is so important. So if you can get consistency with, you know, converting over an old chest freezer into a refrigerator and putting your, you know, carbway in there, your product's going to turn out better every time. Mm -hmm. That'd be my one piece of advice to give to a home brewer. Okay. Get, a, get a setup where you can put your, you know, fermentation into a, an environment where it stays steady. There were some strive fors too. You know, we have family down in Escondido and and all that great, you know, craft beer mecca, right? Mm. And going around, and I can remember standing in line for Pliny. I mean, we stood in line for a long time. And so when you really talk about the vision and the, you know, the sort of culty, like, people really wanted, that was Mark's verbalization. And that's what, when he said he and Tyson were aligned, you know, that was like, I want that kind of like. Yeah, the hot corruption was, I said, we need, we need something that's comparable to Pliny. We need something that's a double that's just balanced. And, and I think that it was achieved because that beer, when we bring it to the beer fest, gets the most love than pretty much anything else we bring. So we already talked a lot about like, you know, marketing and business and trying to make beers look sexy and stuff like that. When you guys talk about Pliny, and I know like Pliny is like, it, it's a big deal. People do wait in line forever to it's get crazy. it, it goes out. I've, I've had friends, especially friends from Microsoft, do a drive down. Yes. buy cases, bring it back and sell them to people. And um, like when you drink that beer, when you imagine Pliny the Elder or the Younger or whichever one is the one you like, they um, are, are you looking at your own beer and thinking, we need to make this beer taste more like Pliny or we need to, like, or are you thinking of the ways you could establish the same kind of cult following that it has? Because that, that's what it has. It's, yeah. it's a good beer, but it's not... Ten times better than the next best beer. Right, it's right. not yeah. two times. It better. used to be, and right. that's the that's what's happened is back when Pliny, because Pliny used to be distributed here in the state. We used to get it through the business, and it was rare that we'd get it. But um, they pulled out of the state years ago. Mm -hmm. But now that craft has been on such a, a huge upswing, now there's people that make product that's as good, if not better, than Pliny. But back in the day, Pliny was like the king daddy when it came to double IPA. I mean, hands down, it was like 100 points. I mean, everyone and their mom wanted to get their fingers on it. Um, it was the beer to get. Um, I think that our approach wasn't to copy what Pliny was, but to have a beer that was super high quality in that category of double IPA that was Samarian's own take on a double IPA. So, yeah, proudly and humbly, the double IPA is really stood up to what we had hoped for um it, you know we got i mean we got a double gold medal for it best in northwest in the in the ipa category um you know it's it's one of bronze it's it's uh you know it's really held its own and got a silver in the first year i think yeah silver then a double gold and a bronze and so it's really like it's been in the trenches with the best and it's come out with awards saying you know what you're you're there and so that's Goosebumps Good, um, and exactly what we were shooting for and envisioned for the beer. Yeah. yeah. Does that transfer to sales, though? Yeah. It, um, what's, uh, Great segue, because we just left a sales yeah. meeting. Yeah. Our, our, our can sales, um, we have Holy Water, which is our single IPA um, with a lot of citra hop. That particular product and the double IPA are almost neck and neck in sales in the marketplace, and we're in probably... I'd say like a hundred stores total, like with independents and chain stores and et cetera. And to see that they both are at the same level of sales, 
usually you'll get like one beer that'll really take off for a brewery and it'll become like 70% of their production. And for us, it's like almost even with those two products. So, you know, some people are in the mood for the double and some people in the mood for the other one because you can drink more of it because it's only five and a half percent versus eight. So, but it, it tells us that they like both of them right. equally. So, yeah, I think mission accomplished all the way around with those two. What's the next step then? What's the, like, how, how do you take that and go further? I, I think... Well, we're gonna, we still have lots of um, room to grow in the chain stores, we, you know, Safeways, Fred Meyers, QFCs, all of those stores. So it's just pretty much to get more and more of that, that, that spread through, through the state. Um, and Depth then we'll, and breadth then we'll f- with, with each of the counts is really yeah. what today's sales meeting yeah. was. It's like, okay, we're incredible sales and returns for the store placements so that we're in. And we're not even talking about draft. This is just chain stores and, and whatnot. But if we're in, let's just say hypothetically, 40, 30 Fred Myers, and there's 100 and some odd in the state, then we're looking at the sales numbers and they're going great. Then there's more capacity to like go depth of breath with that, right? And we've got the numbers to prove it. So that's that's really where we're going, okay? So um, with all those chain stores that are going and it's moving and it's and it's and it's showing like it's capable of moving, then we're just gonna keep going deeper and deeper into those accounts. And in we, we'll eventually introduce another can. Um, we have Pilsner too, but I mean, we've talked about narcissism in a can. Um, that way we kind of have like kind of a lighter version IPA, middle of the road IPA, and then a heavier IPA. And it would be kind of an interesting thing. Um, to put the flagship in a can. We've definitely talked about it. Because our draft sales with narcissism are good. People like it. It's very balanced. It's on its Safeco field. Um, so it's just, you know, whether or not we put in a can, we don't know yet. But we'll focus on those two cans and get more distribution in stores. And then probably sometime right around like this time next year, we'll start deciding like, what are we going to do in 2020 mm-hmm. with another can? And we're in the airport, you know, we've been on yeah. the ferry system. We've been, you know, you know, there's just, there's so much more opportunity. Wouldn't it be great to get on an airplane and have a beer, a Sumerian beer? I mean, yeah. someone's going to knock Alaskan out of there. I'm, right? I'm sick of drinking Alaskan. Right. Right. My right. That so, might be a tough one since it's Alaska uh, Airlines and it's Alaska product. We, <laughs> yeah, can't really, yeah, you can't really That, that one might be a tough one to, to Convince the Alaska Airlines to take that beer off. Our distributor is in Alaska and Hawaii, and um, yeah. we'll share. We've got property in Kauai. We're thinking the holy water would be really cool to be in Hawaii. Yeah. So I feel like will it and it will happen. So we've got some visions, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely here, continuing to work and you know work through Washington State. Lots of room to grow. I mean, a lot of room still. It's you know. Let's talk a little bit more about that kind of sales stuff. So you, and I, I know we've gotten, we've been going pretty crazy on talking about like the business side of stuff, but I think that's really interesting. Um, so you're, you know, you, you've got a bunch of really cool accounts, right? Like ferry account, Safeco account. That's like, that's, those are some pretty big deals. Like what is that? How does that even happen? How'd you get into that? Oh, that's, it's all distributor driven. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't, call up Safeco and go, hey, we want to pitch our product. It's Seven it's all done with, with the yeah. distributor. Same thing with the yeah. big chain stores. Independent stores like Whole Foods we can approach and and um, Met Markets, a place like that. But like places like the airport, um, the ferry system, uh, the stadiums, that's all driven through the distributor and big chain stores like Kroger. Mm-hmm. They won't take phone calls from independent 
brewers. You have to kind of have that channel, you know, and so that's where they come into play. And if you have a good distributor like we have, which is Northwest Beverage on this side of the mountains, on the other side, of, they call themselves Odom, so, because they merge with Click. So we have a really good distributor, um, great people that work there. Um, they like our product and they believe in us. And so they're the ones that kind of go to bat for you. And they'll go, hey, we think this would be a good product to put on the ferry. And then if the people at the ferry, you know, department goes, yeah, we like that product, then they'll put you on. So they, they are the ones that get you in. So how would you describe your relationship with your distributors? Because there are plenty of people who would say that distributors are just the devil, right? Like, obviously, distributors, distributors are an important component for growing a brewery beyond a certain scale, because at a certain point, you're not it's allowed to distribute your own brewery anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you definitely, you're not, like, it's not even legal, but it's also not feasible. Um, so at a certain point they start taking a big cut and you know gets in the way and I've talked to other brewers who say they got onto distributors who then sort of sat on their beer like let it sit in their warehouses go bad and eventually just had to be destroyed. How do you maintain a relationship with a distributor that is beneficial? Well, there's a myth I think with with the distributor and with the brewery and in the beginning um, we were told right out of the gate, you know, it's like look, we're a beer distributor so we deliver beer. They do have salespeople, but predominantly it's up to you. And so that's where our salespeople come in. So our sales guys will run around and do stuff. And then basically they contact like the salespeople for the distributor and go, hey, I've got XYZ restaurant that wants it, or I've got this grocery store now that wants it. And then they follow up and then take the orders. And then that's how it kind of works. So if you sit back as a brewery, you get on with the distributor, and then twiddle your thumbs and think the distributor is going to do everything for you, then you're gravely mistaken. So you actually have to send people out in the marketplace and keep the awareness going like, hey, Samarian, we got this Actively communicate. Yeah, we got this new scotch ale or whatever you know you got going on, you know, this new lager. And then it gets going that way. But mm -hmm. you have to have your own people promoting your product. And they do, they, they do promotion too, but not as heavily as we do on our end and right. so that's that's another reason why i think we've had good growth because we do promote it and we use our salespeople to run around and then we also stay in contact constantly with the distributor i mean you have to have the communication lines the wide open there for you sure. have to have it wide open and 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 luckily the sales guys that we have working for us do that they're always on email you know talking with someone at the distributor about this that and the other what's coming up in the pipeline and you know when you should expect it and so there's all these little things that, that you need to do we definitely hold our word and are part of this relationship i mean we hold ourselves very accountable here um, we we operate here like a family um, we are a sumerian family here and uh, with our distributor they know that when we say we're going to do something we're going to execute on it that's it and, and I, I know that they would say, I'm confident that they would say, Sumerian, when they say they're gonna do something, they're gonna get a canning line. They might go, they're nuts, they're new. They're, they're no, we're gonna do everything we say we're gonna do. And I think it's because we are older and business-minded and we, we're not coming at this like, just because we like beer. No, we've got bigger visions for that. We got a bigger vision, so yeah, I would say that. And we also treated, treated them in the beginning as this is like a partnership. Um, some people look at the distributors as the evil empire, right? Because they are taking their, their third, basically. 
But without that, it depends on, again, it goes right back to the business model. What's your business model? Do you want us to have a taste room or do you want to get in every grocery store? Do you want to get in the stage? Do you want to get to the airport? Well, if you do, you have to then hook up with the distributor. And then you have to look at it as a partnership. You can't look at it as like, well, those guys just take 30%. No, no, it's a partnership. And if you communicate well with them and you keep everything up on the table, then your relationship will be good. If you don't, then I can see how some people have a bad relationship. You called it a partnership. You called it a family. Um, family is a word that I, you know, it's a buzzword that you hear all the time. Yeah, this is a whatever sure, kind of family. Sure. And um, so last time it went in your favor. I'll go in your favor this time. I think his answer is a little nicer. But are you talking about the same thing when you say family and partnership? I, I you know, I would say it's our Sumerian family. Mm. You know, and when I say Sumerian family, I'm talking about our internal employees. Like mm. our salespeople and our employees and our pub staff, we, we definitely call them our Sumerian family. So mm. I'm saying internal versus external. Okay, you're, you are yeah, talking about different uh, Partnership, external, internal, this is our Sumerian family mm. and we take care of our people. So they mm. take care of us, right? And now you are literally talking about your family. I happen to know that your daughter works here, right? Yes, she is our she operations up gal. In. Thank you. <laughs> it's great. Um, let's see. And then how did, you guys have mentioned Tyson a couple times, your head brewer. Um, I remember I was talking to someone over at Willow's Lodge and they were talking about who, about y'all's relationship with Tyson and how that kind of came around. I've, but you guys have been kind of longtime friends, am I mistaken on that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with the other business, the wine business, mm -hmm. um, when Tyson worked over at Betts Family Winery underneath Bob Betts, who's an icon in the wine business in Washington State, um, we were going over there picking up our, you know, allocation. It was like, uh, they do releases twice a year. So I was going over there buying it. And then that's where we met Tyson. And just like really after like maybe the first or second time, I mean, I kind of looked at Holly and said, yeah, one day we're hiring that guy. I mean, his work ethic, you can tell right away. And um, we got lucky. I mean, it's just some things happened and shifted and it made it possible for us to you know, approach Tyson and go, hey, you want to make beer again? We flew him wine? down to San Diego and yeah. we showed him stone. We, him and Naya's lovely wife. And yeah. um, she'd found out shortly thereafter that they were pregnant with their first child, Aiden. Um, but uh, and she wasn't feeling well on that trip. We schlepped her all over every brewery in San Diego with morning sickness. But anyway, um, <laughs> that was really like getting a fish on the hook and then actually really showing him, portraying the vision. Um, yeah. And that we came back with all of us goosebumps and like then a game and play. And he is, before he was really brewing for us, he was also helping with build out this infrastructure, literally like with Mark, I mean yeah. like about building six it out. months from the time we so started, the time we Sumerian, opened. he was almost a, a Sumerian carpenter, if you will, before he became brewing. Yeah. But he had that brewing capability because he'd, you know, done Red Hook, went to beer, and, or went to wine and then came back to beer with us. But he's awesome. Yeah. yeah, we've got an awesome team back there. Tamara Rice, assistant brewer, she's just uh, grew into her pink boots with the Pink Boots Society and on the Brewers Guild and this, that, and the other and earned her stripes to earn the title of assistant brewer like two months ago. Oh, I hate, I forgot, I can't believe it. I completely forgot. I've met her before. Yeah. Um, I did a podcast at the Brewers Guild and she oh was actually, gosh. she was in the background kind of back there uh, <laughs> working at the time. It was one of the Hales Ales, it was the meeting at Hales Ales and she was 
uh, she was working. And I, yeah, I met her and she goes, oh yeah, I work at Sumerian. And I was like, at the time I was like, oh neat, cool, I'll head over there. And then now this is happening. <laughs> now and you're here. And I'm like, oh my God, duh. <laughs> anyway, sorry. No, um, good. And we just small hired world. Uh, Nate. Yeah, total small world. Nate yeah. Willis two weeks ago and um, kind of growing him and um, uh, he just finished w with his school uh, in education, the same school that Tamara had graduated from and um, fresh new talent here and growing him and he'll be doing Sellerman responsibilities and uh, helping out in the canning line. So cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. One of the questions I was wondering from earlier is you were talking about your sales team and stuff like that. You just came from your sales meeting. What what does that actually look like? So what does your sales team sort of, I, me knowing nothing about sales, nothing about what it's like to establish a sales team or have anything to do with, with you know, cultivating this kind of the brand and making sure sales happen, kind of describe what that feels like. What is that? Um, so the sales guys will, they'll like it, they'll pull reports and they'll look at accounts to like say we were on tap because there's a lot of, uh, um, versus the on-prem, which is like the canned products and the stores, it's different um, draft. A lot of bars like to rotate out to try and keep it, you know, fresh and you get the seasonals coming in. So what they do is they look at accounts that we have that maybe we weren't on for like a month or two and then approach them and like, hey, we have like, you know, this seasonal coming out for the fall. And they just keep on top of it or they'll like check in with certain accounts that we've, you know, had for a really long time, like the Willows Lodge and um, over here at Wooden, uh, Woodenville Whiskey or the Woodenville Tavern, um, and then All Lisa. All legacy customers, yes. Yeah, yes, so, so they'll keep on top, like, hey, is there anything you guys need, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so that's kind of what they do. And then, of course, they look for new opportunities. Um, there's always new restaurants opening, and there's always restaurants and closing. And we've got software that really allows those salespeople yeah. to drill right in of yeah. where there's opportunity, where, where you know, where we're have opportunity to grow where we're at and so when we come into these sales meetings that we just left from we've got all the numbers yeah we have right? good hard data so when you're saying that there are sales opportunities that means you kind of have some leads you've got Safeway you know has 30 stores and you know there's 100 more you know like right. that's, those are the kind of yeah, leads you're talking about well not, not so much the chain stores because again that goes back to the distributors so right. what the distributor will do is they'll call up and go you know hey Joe Sumerian's in 30 of your stores sales show that they're tracking really well how about we expand it to maybe 60? Mm -hmm. that, that's totally up to the distributor. That's not us. There are some independent stores that you can actually approach. Like there's a handful of QFCs and Safeways where there's buyers on site. But for the most part, it's all run through the distributor. Uh, bars and restaurants, though, they, they can go out and like, oh, there's like, a, you know, like, well, what they'll do is like um, uh, Duke's. So Duke's restaurants has a chain. And... If they reach out to them and go, hey, we'd love to get you know involved in being in your restaurants or Anthony's, they'll do that kind of stuff and start to plant the seeds, go out and taste the buyers on it. And if the buyers like it, then they'll bring us they on. They put us on tap. Yeah, yeah so we Dukes. were on like a Duke's last spring Dukes. for like a month <laughs> um, for something that they did for a month long. Samaria was on tap there at all their Duke's restaurants. So that's what they do. They go out and create new opportunities and more exposure for us. Anthony's, and, and we're doing Anthony's. Yeah, Anthony's. Yeah, we're in a handful of Anthony's now because of, you know, their work. And so that's what they do. And then they also talk with like the salespeople in certain areas that maybe we want to penetrate, you know, from the distributor. You know, there might be five or six salespeople and they'll be reaching Seattle, out to we're coming eat. for you in yeah. new ways. Yeah, that kind of thing. And so they're always got that pulse going. Yeah. And stuff. So that's kind of, you know, and then they fill in and they do like brewers nights for more awareness. Um, they organize things like that. 
Um, another question I was thinking from earlier, when you were talking about trying to establish four solid beers as your brand, you know, four or five, what, you know, and you, and you have your own canning line, so I'm sort of imagining in your future, you know, the multi-pack, that kind of thing, you know, the 12 can multi-pack showing up on Fred Meyer shelves. When I see those a lot of the times from a lot of breweries, you kind of sometimes see what I call hair color beers, right? There's a black beer, so there's a stout, there's a reddish beer, so there's an amber there, there's a blonde beer, and then there's just a brown, right? And you run, yeah, so you run the gamut here, hair color beers, and so I guess what I want to know is how do you build a multi-pack? How do you build your four main brands that don't just come off as the same four beers everyone else is making? What are your, what are your, what's your multi-pack? I don't know if we'll ever do one, actually. I think just keeping them all separated and just focusing on, not, that's the other thing, the distributor likes the fact that we don't have a gazillion SKUs. So we kind of focus in on, you know, X amount of products and that's what we're trying to just stay focused on and not have something new every other month. Um, so like the can thing we have, we have three right now. So we have the Pilsner, the Holy Water and the Hop Ruption. Um, we might put a fourth on, but you know, it's down the road and then, you know, maybe stick it four, who knows, maybe one of them, we might peel it out of that four and just have three um, and just kind of hone in on that and just keep the quality as high as we can. His great question is exactly the conversations we have about with our distributor on, is that a good return on our investment? You yeah, know, that's true you know, to look at I that. I mean, that point blank was discussed today. Um, you know, we just purchased this candy line and you know, do we add another mechanism and, and other components necessary for the, the canning production to do larger format? Larger format? You know, um, would it behoove us to do that? Or do we let some other bigger breweries like Stone pave the way and see if it's a good return? So, yeah. so those are the conversations that are definitely happening, but they're on simmer with Sumerian, yeah. right? And that's they're the other thing simmer. with the distributor too, is you get good data from them because they get all this data from all these breweries and they can tap into some big national um, data as well and so you can they yep. can give you advice they can go well I don't know if you really should do that because that really isn't selling. It's like a so, Siskel and Ebert yay yeah. or nay yeah. and that was a yay or nay conversation today so that looks cool I get it I used to get mixed cases for my dad for Christmas you know like this sort of thing. It's Costco like, always had. They always have them we did some mixed cases at Costco sure. but I mean you know evolving there is Eh, it's on simmer, according to our distributor. Like, we'll just chill out on that whole idea right now. Conceptually, it's cool. Yeah. Um, but you know, it needs to make it needs to make business sense because they we can do they mix move six it? packs here at the brewery. Nothing wrong with that. Two cans of this, two cans of that, and two cans of that. But a great yeah, setup. Outside outside of the mix pack, that's the only way that you know we have. It. Yeah, we probably won't do anything in the marketplace anytime soon. Why did you pick the Citra IPA to go in cans instead of my favorite, the Narcissism? Oh, I love that. Yeah. I think it was driven because of um, the style and it's light and it's crisp and it's clean and it's just not a lot of alcohol. And, and when you're going out and you're doing all these beer fests, and we do lots of them, you start to take the feedback from the customer, which is the general public. And I mean, you can't weigh on, in on your own, like, okay, that's the best beer rate, we're gonna do that. It's better to like, listen to what the consumer likes. And then from there, you just go, okay, well, you know what, people really like this product. I think we should put this in the can. And that's kind of how you kind of do it. I thought, that, I thought for sure that the double IPA was a, double IPA was a no-brainer to go in the can. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we did kind of think about the narcissism, 
Um, and I actually think that since we started canning, we've improved the narcissism because we took one of the hops out that we were using and replaced it with another one. And I think that balanced it even more. So in a way, maybe it's good that it didn't go in the can right away because we think it's better. What oh, an honor to have you yeah, out to Woodenville so on a bike and brew package, cycling Cicerone, Sumerian, Willows Lodge, our friends, neighbors, and legacy customers. Like, we just, we love our community, and um, that's why I could not answer the Mary <laughs> bang or divorce or, or something. Yeah. yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> we like our community of craft, of craft beer and vino and everything else. Oh, of course. So okay, I'll, I be, I'll be bike and brew with us a lot. Well, I think we're going to have to talk about I that I think we're going to have to we're do gonna that. We're going to do some bike and brew. We, yeah, we cannot wait for that. I Andrew, like what an honor. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank Let's grab know. a beer. Right? Thank you. Right? Cheers. Thank you so much, Holly and Mark. I can't wait to come back to Samaria and get my hands on some narcissism IPA next time. And thanks again to Willow's Lodge for inviting me out. See you again soon. Thanks for listening to Washington Beer Talk. If you like what you heard, then you can find other episodes of the podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Don't forget to like, leave a review, and share with your friends. 